Hello, STEM Nation. Jeff here, and welcome to episode number 81 of STEM on Fire, where we interview practicing professionals in the area of science, technology, engineering, and math to help guide students that are interested in STEM careers. If you like what you hear, please share it with a friend. Now let's get fired up today with our guest, Allison, and I hope our chat will help ignite your passion towards a STEM career. Allison is a serious mechanical engineer earning a PhD in mechanical engineering with a focus on sports biomechanics from UC Davis and is a biomechanics researcher at Nike. Welcome to the show, Allison. Fill in any gaps and share a bit of your personal life. Hi, thanks so much for having me on the show. I am thrilled to be able to talk to you and your audience about how fun it can be to be a, a biomechanical engineer. Um, I think you hit the highlights of my credentials, but I think the flip side to that is I've always been passionate and interested in sports, and uh, that passion was ignited when I was very young doing gymnastics, and um, it's been amazing to combine that passion with um, a STEM field to be able to think about how people move in a really like systematic, mechanical way and help them help create products that change their performance. All right. Thanks for that, Allison. And, and let's get right in here. So you do have a PhD in mechanical, engin mechanical engineering, so you are a serious mechanical engineer, and you're a biomechanics researcher. Could you explain to STEM Nation what that really means? Absolutely. So in mechanical engineering, you're thinking about how things move. Um, your first thing that might have come to mind is how an engine in a car works or the aerodynamics of an airplane. Um, but if you really think back to your first basic mechanics class, your first basic physics class, um, one of the classic ex examples that comes up is how a pendulum swings. Now, if you take that pendulum and insert a person, oh, that's kind of like a person swinging on an uneven bar. Um, and if you kind of just keep building up those examples, you can think about in mechanical engineering or in physics, you're thinking about how to take the system of things that move and write equations that describe it. And you can apply that to people. And that's, in fact, what I do as a biomechanical engineer. Thanks for that, Allison. And I got a question of, of why you went for mechanical engineering with the focus on biomechanics versus going for biomedical engineering with a mechanics focus. Well, the nice part about any sort of interdisciplinary field is that there's a lot of ways to get from here to there. Um, and I think you outlined two really great ways I could have gotten to where I was. And then there's also a field of kinesiology um, that, or, or human, human movement science, which I could have done to really end up in a similar place. The reason that I took a mechanical engineering approach is that first, I like things that I can see. Um, with biomedical engineering, often you're thinking about um, things on a tissue level instead of a whole person level. And you know, you can start by thinking about all of these small things and adding them up to try and figure out how the whole person moves. Um, but that involves looking through a lot of microscopes, which I learned very quickly that I was not into. Um, but from and from a mechanical engineering perspective, you you start from the big and you work your way to the small. And the cool part is that we meet each other in the middle, and that we do have to learn a lot from each other's approach in order to get a really clear picture of how your whole body is moving, and then all how all of these little pieces um, add up to that movement. Yeah, so that, that's interesting, Allison. I think that's important for STEM Nation to know, you know, if you're looking at biomedical engineering or mechanical engineering, kind of with a biomechanics focus, kind of going, you know, small to big or big to small, 
what are some opportunities out there, Allison, if you're going the mechanical route with biomechanics, you know, maybe outside of the biomechanics research you're doing uh, currently, what are some other opportunities available? Yeah, the future is bright for biomechanical engineers. Um, I think there's never been a better time to be in the field because at, at a most basic level, you're thinking about how people move and how people interact with their environments. Um, and w- directions that you can take that are there's opportunities in consulting fields. Um, injury biomechanics is really important. Um, you know, if someone were in an accident, understanding how and why they were hurt um, is really valuable for presenting, preventing that type of injury in the future. Um, there's also opportunities to work in um, in the tech space, um, Apple. Google, Fitbit, um, they're really interested in how you're moving, why you're moving in those ways to be able to uh, produce products that you interact with. Um, In the sporting good industry, which is where I sit, um, it's imperative to understand how an athlete moves and what an athlete needs in order to create products that fulfill their needs. So uh, there's a lot of different avenues that just this underlying understanding of how and why people move the way that they do uh, can really be a benefit. All right, Allison. And I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, and you know you do have a PhD, and it looks like you actually went on to teach for a little bit. Is is that the reason you went on for your PhD? Because you thought you're going to be in academia? And I guess the real question is, how important is that PhD in what you're doing today? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So you hit the nail on the head. Um, Uh, Maybe I'll tell you if I could start a little bit farther back. Um, So I grew up doing gymnastics, and my coach actually had a PhD in physics. And I didn't realize at the time how unique that was. And it allowed him to talk to us in a really different way than I think other coaches would have talked to me. Um, He talked to me about how if I increased my velocity, we could, you know, by a certain percent, you could increase airtime, you know, during your vault. And as a, you know, nine or ten year old. I didn't really understand what he was saying, but I knew I wanted to do my best. And so I you know, enthusiastically nod and say, yes, this is what I'll do. Um, and then when I finally got to high school physics class, it started making sense why he was talking in those ways to, to us um, what, and what he meant. And it really helped me understand that you can apply physics to anything. And I thought it was awfully fun to apply physics to thinking about people and sports. Um, So I wanted to be able to pursue a career doing that. Um, When I went to undergrad, there wasn't really that many opportunities to do that yet. You know, you do need to, um, many curriculums are set up such that you have to develop a core competency or a way at which a core set of skills that then in graduate work, you can apply to a hundred different types of problems that, that may be of interest to you. So as we talked about, I took the mechanical engineering route because I was really interested in the gross movements of a big system or of systems. And then in graduate school, I was able to take that knowledge and really apply it to gymnastics, which was really exciting to be able to bring those things uh, together. And why I pursued a PhD at that time was um, I really was interested in heading into academia uh, for two reasons. I was excited about teaching, um, and I was also really excited about having a lab that was dedicated to doing sports research. So I had the opportunity to teach at Ohio State uh, for two years, and it was an amazing experience and was in the process of getting that uh, research 
program off the ground when an opportunity opened up at Nike to step into already an existing world-class uh, sports research facility uh, with access to some of the best athletes in the world. And it seemed like just a really good match uh, for my research interests at the time. Yeah. So you're able to pivot. You you weren't quite able to do what you wanted to do in academia, and you're able to, to pursue that at a at a company, a very large company, I had something already in place. So that that's really great. Yeah. And I'd say um, I got to do a lot of what I like to do at Ohio State. It just was uh, challenging to put together an entirely uh, sports science uh, research portfolio. Let's transition here a little bit into, you know, something that really has you fired up today in the area of biomechanics, engineering, or anything in general. I'm just so excited about the the plethora of tools that are becoming available to just measure and understand you know, how people move and some of the world around us. Um, I can give a couple examples. Uh, you know, when I first started in, in the field of biomechanics, uh, you know, if we wanted to know how an individual was moving or trying to understand how the bones were moving under the skin, we would put markers all over the outside of you know, out of, outside of your body. And we'd say, oh, we know that the skin moves around a little bit, but, you know, this is the best we can do. So um, this is a pretty good estimate for how your skeleton's moving. Um, now you, we still do that. Um, but there are also these tools available, like these x-ray machines that run at hundreds of, take hundreds of pictures per second. So you can have somebody, you know, do a cut in an x-ray machine or do a jump in an x-ray machine and actually see what's happening inside the body. Uh, so I think things breakthroughs like that in how to measure previously, you know, things that were we were unable to see is really exciting. Um, I think another thing that's been really exciting is just the interdisciplinary nature of the field has become more and more welcoming of other um, people with other skills. So um, bringing in uh, data scientists and people with machine learning experience to kind of look at the data sets we're able to generate um, has been has led to some really insightful, um, insightful observations and new questions for the biomechanics fields to chase. Yeah, I like I like to dig in a little bit, Allison, into that. You know, the the big data, the the artificial intelligence as it's being applied to biomechanics. Could you go into a little more in depth on that? Yeah, you see it in a lot of different ways. Um, so some of the uh, more exciting work that I've seen recently is. You can, uh, there's researchers that create these really com complicated simulations of how your body moves. And they start at, you know, by building each individual muscle and, you know, connect them to skeletons and then ask questions like, if we activate your muscles in this pattern, how would the skeleton move? And you can use those types of models to answer questions um, that you could never answer by asking someone to move in front of you. Like you could say, um, what would happen if this athlete or this, this sub uh, individual was twice as strong? Like, what type of movements would they be capable of doing? Or for an individual with some sort of neuromuscular, neuromuscular or musculoskeletal disorder, you could say, all right, well, how, does their, how do they have to compensate if they can't activate this muscle in the same way as you know, someone without this disorder? And you can ask, play with these types of questions on these really big uh, models. But uh, previously it's been pretty challenging because, you know, you, you kind of put in the, 
test the solution or test the question you're trying to answer. And then you come back three days later <laughs> when the model's finally finished running um, and get some sort of an answer. And I think with some of these big data um, or just data, better data analytics um, processes, um, able to I can make the models run faster, uh, learn how uh, learn how each of these individual changes are coupled. And um, instead of having to run simulations like one at a time and see what happens, you can run many at a time to see what happens. Uh, in imaging, like if you go to the doctor and have um, an, uh, an MRI taken, um, how do, doctors have to go through, you know, slice by slice of those MRIs to see what, whatever structure they're interested in looking at um, or pick out maybe a tiny defect that they're looking for. And there's a lot of um, uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence or even computer vision um, algorithms that help identify those uh, defects uh, for the doctors so they don't have to go through step by step. So Stemnation, listen to what Allison is talking about, right? So it's mechanical engineering, but also there's the the big data, the data analytics, how to process large data sets. And a lot of that is all is all math related. So if you're, if you're going off to college and there's an artificial intelligence or a big data type of class, you may want to look at taking something like that maybe as an elective because that seems to be where the future is headed absolutely um in most machine learning classes and the best part is you'll recognize most of the math from uh, a linear algebra class that you took um, it's the same math it's just applied to much bigger data sets yeah linear algebra is 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 the basis for a lot of the, a lot of the AI work. So when you're in that linear algebra class in college and you're like, when would I ever use this? It would be used all the time. So, you know, speaking of college, Allison, you know, getting through college, you went all the way through to your PhD and you actually did some, some teaching at Ohio state. Um, we're looking for some guidance, you know, back when you were 18 heading off into college and also some insights that you may have as a, as a professor, what kind of attributes you see in successful students? Things I needed to learn when I went to college uh, were I, I quickly realized I had never really been academically challenged in that way but until I got to college. And then suddenly classes were very hard and you were taking a lot of very hard classes at the same time. And so um, I would say my first piece of advice is uh, be patient with yourself and just keep trying because you'll eventually learn how you learn. Um, and, and if somehow you learned that before you went to college, that's really great <laughs> to go and send your thing, high school teachers, a thank you note. Um, I think, uh, just that measure of perseverance and trying to learn the material so that you understand it rather than trying to learn the material so that you pass a test, um, is just a, a step along your academic career. And the sooner you make that, the, the more you'll get out of your classes. Yeah. And that's interesting. That's come up time and time again, Allison, on the podcast from folks that went through is, you know, learn the material. Don't be studying it just to get the A. Actually learn the material. You'll be better off in the end doing that. And, I'll, you know, I've said this before on the podcast is I was one of those that I would study to get the A. And I look back and it's like, gosh, I wish there's classes where I'd actually would have tried to learn the material and not try to get the A. I would have been better off for that. Yeah. And sometimes not get, not getting the A is also a little bit freeing. Um, I do, I, I definitely saw students who had, gosh, impeccable, amazing high school and undergraduate careers. And, and then where they really met their first challenge was in grad school, um, where maybe they weren't going to get an A or um, it took longer to learn something than they expected it would take. Um, and just know that 
everybody hits that point at some point. And um, it's, it's nice to get over that, that hurdle a little bit earlier in your career, because then you just, become, you develop this sense that you know you'll be able to do it. All right, Allison, and we're going to head over to the lightning round. Are you ready? Yes. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Don't be afraid. A bias towards action, even if it's the wrong action, um, will end up working out better for you in the long run than sitting there and trying to overthink the problem. Yep. And if I were to paraphrase that, it's just start taking action and correct along the way. Yep. And a personal habit that contributes to your success. I really try hard to prioritize my time. And I'm sure that's not an original uh, answer. Um, But just thinking through, there's a hundred things that we could do or should do, but picking a couple that I really want to do well and investing my time into doing that is really fulfilling. And a favorite internet resource or phone app? Oh, I look at Twitter way too often. (laughs) (laughs) And if you had to recommend one book, what would that be? Um, my, my, my style of books varies widely, but recently I enjoyed, uh, five days at Memorial. It was a, kind of the story of what happened in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. And I didn't enjoy it because it was a uplifting story, but it was a really insightful look at how people respond to emergencies. All right, Allison. And with that, we're going to say goodbye, but we're going to ask you for a piece of parting guidance for STEM Nation, and then we will say goodbye. I was very lucky because I kind of had a sense of what I hoped to do. And then somehow by um, all the stars aligning, you know, good luck and good preparation, I ended up doing it. Um, But know that I'm not, I'm the exception rather than the rule. And you don't need to know what you want to do, you know, with your career, with your life, but don't be afraid to try something and and if it doesn't work, don't be afraid to, afraid to try something else. All right, Allison. And with that, we will say goodbye. It was great talking with you. Right. Thanks for the opportunity. Yep. Thanks, Allison. I hope you enjoyed that chat today with Allison. You can head over to stemonfire.com, subscribe to the email list to keep up with the latest happenings, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player. And tune in next week we talk with Mel, who is a consulting engineer. Until next time, I hope this chat has helped ignite your passion in STEM.